Before we launch in the episode, I want to apologize. I was a little tipsy in the recording of the episode, so I'm not asking for your apology, but just making you aware of it. Okay, let's get to it. Yo, Jason. So I just finished listening to Carl's recap of your DCC game. Plus, I've heard you talk about the DCC games and the Pathfinder 2 games, and I've played with you. I don't think you get to claim anymore that you're a bad roller, man. <laughs> you roll friggin' lights out, dude. I've played with you. You roll lights out. Idris Khan is a boss. The Goblin Archer sounds like he's tough as shit, man. Like, yeah. Your dice luck is strong, dude. It is very strong. Anyway, I hope you're having a good one, man. You're a super cool dude, and I can't wait to hear the episode where everybody calls in to talk about what they're scared of. That's going to be super fun, really interesting, and just a really good idea, man. So I can't wait for it. Peace out. What pops up a beer or a cold libation? Let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start up with some talking and some moody clips of popcorn, fighting fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. I said slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. With the other Jason. There at the top of the show, you heard Joe Richter of Hindsightless. I'm Jason, the host of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thank you for joining me today, and let's get into it. So, Joe, thank you for those compliments, but what we don't talk about in these recaps are all the bad things that happen. So, Idris Khan lost a number of spells due to bad rolls. And in fact, the spells he lost, I don't think he got to cast one time. The first time he tried to cast them, like Magic Missile, and um, Scorching Ray, he failed and lost those spells before he even got to cast them once during that adventure. And the Goblin Archer also had critical failures where his bow broke. So, yeah, the rolls aren't all good, my friend. But I do appreciate the kind words. Joe mentioned the Colin episode where everybody talked about what they were scared of. That was last episode. And Joe is going to talk more about that. And we have a couple calls on this episode where people continue to talk about fear and things other people are afraid of. And in fact, Safer, Safer Fantasy Crafting, gives us a, a glimpse into what he's afraid of, as does Daniel Norton. So stay tuned for that. I'm recording this on Saturday night after work. I'm tired, so this isn't my best effort. But I wanted to get this out to you. I've got a bunch of calls. Before that, I just want to catch up on where I'm at with gaming right now. My work schedule changed, which is going to kick me out of the Twilight 2000 game. And it kicks me out of the AD&D second edition game. Twilight 2000 game, of course, being run by Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents. That's U.S. time, 7 p.m. Central time. So if you're interested, or it might be, I don't know. It's it's Tuesday evenings, U.S. time. So if you're interested in playing Twilight 2000, the new edition by Free League, then go check reach out to Carl Rodriguez, the Geomologist Presents. I bet you he'd be happy to fit you in that game. The AD&D second edition game that Barry is running, Barry, of course, has the GM, the Geomologist, Shadow of the GM podcast. And he is based in England. And that game runs 
Well, it's 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. East Coast time in the U.S. So what's that? It's 11 to 1, I think, UK time, London time. Anyway, reach out to him over Shadow the GM podcast if you're interested in a Wednesday game of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. He'd love to have some more players in that game, too. So both those games are shot out of the water due to my schedule change, which stinks. I'll still be able to maintain some of my games. One thing I'm looking at doing because of the schedule change is starting up a game Saturdays, UK morning time. So this would be morning, you know, either early morning or mid-morning, whatever people want to do. But it'll be based around UK time, GMT time. It'll be Saturday mornings. And I want to run a traditional game. So whether it's ideally what I would like to run is an OD&D game. So if you're interested in that, um, let me know. We'll see what we can do to get you in there. For people in the U.S., it'll be kind of early. If you're in Australia or Japan, it'll be in the evening. And if you're in, well, England or Europe, it'll be Saturday morning. So if, you, if you're interested in doing that, an OD&D game, running some old original modules that, you know, we'll, we'll do like three three-hour sessions and hopefully it'll be every week. But depending on people's schedules, we'll talk about it when we get a group together. So you can reach out to me and we can see about doing that. There's the option of maybe running AD&D First Edition instead. Or if people are interested, I, I'm happy also to run Bureau 13 St- Stalk and Night Fantastic, where it's kind of like X-Files or Hellboy, where you're your average agents, your your regular people, your agents of a secret agency, and you're trying to contain supernatural threats. You're not necessarily monster hunters because some monsters belong in the environment and they, and they fit, fit in the ecology, but you want to keep the average public from knowing about them. And, and so it's kind of like men in black in that aspect. But it, but anyway, we can decide what game to play. My strong preference right now is OD&D. But if you're interested in that, reach out to me and let me know. The other game that it'll probably start after the first of the year, and I've and I've got enough players for that. So this game isn't going to have any more players. But if you've listened to Jay Webster of Roleplay Rescue, he's talking about doing this game where it's all behind the GM screen. The, the players don't have character sheets. They don't know the mechanics of the game. They don't even know the system. They, they just explain what they want to do. The GM handles all the mechanics. So, so it's full immersion, all immersion all the time. And we're going to do a play-by-post game, and this is going to be a space game. Um, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be pretty Star Trek-ish because that's kind of what the players wanted. I'd, I'd rather it had been more of a space trader game, but that's cool because this has stretched me out of my comfort zone, which is a good thing for me as a GM. But that probably won't start till the first of the year because we're still putting everything together for that. So if you're interested in do, doing a game like that, I'll let you know how it goes and who knows, maybe once it gets going, if I'm comfortable, we can bring more people in. But right now, that game is pretty much full. So I'll just be updating you on how it's going once it does start. But that's really all the gaming news for me. So let's get to these calls. I've got a bunch of calls. Some of them are kind of general grab baggish kind of things. And then I have a number of ones focused on last episode where everybody talked about what they're scared of. So time to open the mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the 
phone. Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason, this is Manion, also known as Rob. Thank you so much for the uh, second edition recap of the game that we had the other day. It was fantastic. Uh, good game. Thank you, Barry, GM, DM, I should say. And uh, thank you, uh, Jason, for, for uh, su- summarizing that so that I don't have to. Um, lovely to play with you. Lovely to play with Lyle, um, who usually he's GMing or I'm GMing. Um, yeah, wonderful game all around. Good stuff. Um, just a, a quick note. I, I don't leave a lot of messages recently, so I just want to say thank you so much for all your um, you, your humour that you bring to the game uh, for and for binding everybody together. And that's pretty much it for the moment. But uh, hopefully I'll leave more tangible, uh, interesting messages at some point soon. <laughs> all right. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. So Minions talked about that AD&D second edition game. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, I'm not going to be able to continue playing that game right now due to my work schedule. But if you're interested in that, check, you know, reach out to Barry over at Shadow of the Jam podcast. It's a, a real fun game and I think well worth joining if you can. Rob I, or Minion, I, I will let you know that as I record this, I do have a highball here. It's I'm kind of cheap here. It's ginger ale and jmb you know scotch whiskey it's good enough for a highball for me anyhow thank you for the call i really appreciate it and next caller is going to be daniel norton of the bandits keep media empire so let's hear what the media baron has to say hey there daniel from bandits keep i realized uh, that i didn't finish 272 and uh, being a completionist i'm back listening um it's interesting the question you ask about reading the book versus watching the movie or whatever. I, I guess unlike, <laughs> I guess maybe many of you, I, I wasn't into reading all that stuff. I went a huge period without like consuming sci-fi and fantasy and stuff. So a lot of times when I see a movie or a TV show, I actually have never read the book or even know about it. And it's pretty cool because sometimes, so like I'll watch to the end and see if it says something like based on, and I'll go out and get the book. So it, for me, it tends to be the other way. Um, just because that's how it happens. Um, but I think, I, again, if the movie was already made, um, I think I would uh, watch it first. But if it was like, this movie's coming out in three years, I would probably uh, read the book first because <laughs> I'm not patient. So Daniel's referring to a, a discussion I was having with John Allen Large, the Red Dice Diaries podcast. And I asked him, we were talking about Dune, the new movie. And we asked him, you know, do you typically read the book or watch the movie first? So Daniel, I'm kind of like you. If I see a, a movie and i haven't read the book and they say it's based on a book i'll go track the book down like that's how i read john streakley's vampires which john carpenter's john carpenter's vampires movie with um james woods i watched that movie and it's oh it's reference it was based on a book so i went and got the book and read the book and i've done that for a number of movies um so yeah like thief michael mann's thief is actually based on a book which is an interesting book written first person from this you know, cat burglar. Um, there's some claims in that book that I wonder, you, you know, I, I really wonder if they're, if he's just embellishing, you know, he talked about, cause he would talk, this cat burglar talk about stealing jewelry off people when they're sleeping and he would slide his hand under the covers, let his hand warm up. And then before he take the jewelry off people while they're sleeping, it seems kind of far-fetched, but anyway, that, but so I, but I picked up a copy of that book year. That was, 
years and years and years ago when I got that book on it. But anyway, but yeah, I do the same thing, Daniel. So yeah, no, no worries there. Daniel has a couple other calls, though, so let's hear what else he has to say. And I should say, I've seen the Dune movie, but never read the book, although it is sitting on my shelf. And I'm going to watch it this weekend. So, <laughs> But I don't know, the whole jumping forward in time thing, I'm not sure that's really a problem. Because unless you're going back and forth, right, you just, the player can have the overview, even if their individual character cannot. So I don't see why you couldn't do that kind of uh, spanning thing anyways, in any game, really. Yeah, the first thing I was thinking of uh, was Pendragon as well. It does a similar thing, right? But I wonder, too, like, maybe the way to do it would be to set up, and I haven't played any of these games, so I don't know, but set up, like, what we'll call mini campaigns. So you say, okay, well, uh, we're going to play a five-session campaign in year five. And then once we finish that, we're going to start a new campaign, and it's going to be in year 1005. And we're going to build new characters, and, you know, we'll base whatever, the world history, we'll do like, you know, maybe have a, a session zero for that one that talks about what happened in the worlds in the course of the thousand years. And then you play another four or five sessions, then you, again, start it, what a, they're effectively all mini campaigns. And what could be cool about that, in fact, is you could actually have different players too, like bring different players in for different parts of it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a cool idea. Not only that, you could also use different systems for the different games if you wanted to, which would be kind of cool. So what Daniel's referring to, in 272, when I was talking to John Allen Large about Dune, he said that the thing that defines Dune to him against other sci-fi properties is the the length of time that the Dune – and when we talk about Dune, we're not talking about the first novel only. We're talking about the six novels written by Frank Herbert. All the stuff by his son is just apocryphal. That doesn't count. But – those first six novels written by Frank Herbert, those that spans millennia, like you know, hundreds of thousands of years, right? And the idea of having a system that allows you to do those jumps in time, and that's what Daniel's talking about there. And and if you go back to episode two seventy two, we talked about some other systems that would work really good. There's a a Powered by the Apocalypse game that I don't remember off the top of my head the name of it, but that would work really well. I'll I'll put it in the show notes. Daniel, thank you. I appreciate those thoughts. Now we're going to go to some some less um, favorable comments from Joe. Of course, this is the man you heard at the top of the show. Yo, dude. So, one, I, I'm sorry for misunderstanding what you were talking about at first. Because when you were talking about it with Daniel, it was my impression that you weren't super familiar with OD&D and that you hadn't really played it before much. But... That was also the case with this horror game that you had got, and so yeah, that that was my confusion. I didn't, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't clear that you were very familiar with OD and D, and that you and your group, you know, played it a bunch. My bad. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you're talking. To, I tell this whole story about how I make a 13th level character for the first time ever. It's a 13th level character, and I make it awesome. And then you talk about how. You need a bunch of system mastery to play Pathfinder. If you're playing a first-level Pathfinder character, you don't need any more system mastery than for any other game. Peace out. Okay, so Joe's talking about, again, this is a few episodes back. You know, I discussed that some systems do require more system mastery than others. And a while back, I talked about how one of the cool things about OD&D is how adaptable it is. And I was looking at a horror game, um, Slasher Flick, and that it would be easy to adapt. The I the the reason fla- slasher flick works so well 
the things it does to emulate the horror genre, the slasher genre, would be easy to recreate with OD&D. And then Joe's give me crap over that. But no, we didn't play OD&D in the, in the day. I Back in the day, I played Beck Me and I played AD&D First Edition. So no, I don't have a lot of experience with OD&D. I was just commenting that it would be easy to do. So, so sorry if I misspoke or confused you there, Joe. As far as the system mastery thing, obviously when you built that 13th level character, that wasn't, you didn't, you didn't just hop online and do it in five minutes. You researched and taught yourself that system to create that kick-ass 13th level character. So yeah, there was a little system mastery involved there. If somebody just hands you a first level character, then yeah, you can play, but if you have moves that'll tie in, you have feats or whatever you want to call them in Pathfinder, that abilities that let you tie in with other characters or you have reach or you have this or that it's going to, if you don't know the pathfinder, then attacks of opportunity, stuff like that are going to kick your butt until you learn that stuff. So it will require some system mastery to effectively do tactical combat and pathfinder compared to D and D where I swing my sword. Just saying. Yo, dude, so the whole point of my story was that I was a brand new player. I had no background in Pathfinder. I never even heard of it before. I, I had no, the last version of D&D I played before I played Pathfinder was AD&D, and that was back in the 90s. Or, sorry, back in the 80s, even. So, yeah, I think it is a fallacy to say that Pathfinder is less newcomer-friendly than these old games. I don't think that's true at all. More options doesn't make it less inviting. It actually gives you more play styles. You can play the game in different ways. You don't have to just play the same way every time. And I don't know. I think that's a plus. Peace out. I think that's a plus too, but it takes knowledge of those different ways to understand your options, which takes more system mastery. Next up is another caller that's going to give me a hard time, and this is Carl Rodriguez. So his Dungeon Crawl Classics game, I'm going to keep, I'm going to be able to keep playing in, which I'm very happy about because I really enjoy that game. So each of the players in that game tends to do a recap of that game. Arlen Walker over at Live from Pelham's Wasteland, BJ Boyd over at The Arcane Alienist, and Carl over at The Geomologist Presents. So I gave a recap from my character's point of view of what's important to my character. And in this call, Carl's going to bust my chops for not talking about what was important to the other characters, which is irrelevant to my character, Idris Khan, because the others are just a means for towards his end, and he's not really concerned about what problems they had. So that's why I left out of my system recap, because we were supposed to be doing them from our character's point of view. But here, I'll let you hear Carl bust my chops over that. Hey, Jason, you, f- you forgot something kind of interesting that happened um, in the game to the encounter with the cloud of mold um, from that curtain where the statue was being covered or was hidden behind. And both Burnfried and uh, Arjath were affected by this choking mold, and it really messed them up pretty bad. I did a lot of constitution damage and could have killed them. It was like, it ended up being like a 3d6 constitution, which can usually kill someone um, or has a potential to kill even the, the toughest of characters. So 
uh, yeah, that was it was crazy uh, kind of adventure today, and I'm sure we'll hear um, other podcasters uh, give some recaps, and I'll try to do one too. But uh, thank you for that recap. Pretty cool. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it, and I didn't talk about the mold because everybody else did. And again, it didn't affect Idris. I did mention how cool it was that you got to use a cloaker, and Carl was pretty fired up because he loves cloakers, and he's going to talk a little bit more about that now. I'll definitely go into this more on my recap maybe, but just to just give a shout-out to the cloaker, um, it was pretty fun to use it in DCC and give it those extra actions because of its hit dice. Um, it was able to maintain its moan and maybe change it and attack once or twice depending so it ended up being pretty tough and substantial and you know big big time you know usually with the boss type of creature you know it, if players gang up on it um it doesn't last long but this one did pretty well and i was trying to flee but you guys uh destroyed it you know that that choking cloud was very effective and and pushing it pushing it away it couldn't really do much uh, once it got surrounded by choking cloud and was taking damage. So, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. It's really neat. Uh, beast DDs. Okay. So Carl does talk about that more over on his podcast, the geomologist presents. So go check that out. It, it was a real fun adventure. The cloaker did. It, we almost had TPK. It almost took out our whole party of fifth level characters. That cloaker was pretty tough. It, it was a lot of fun and I'm glad we did that. And, and like I say, I'm very happy that, my new schedule is going to allow me to keep playing that game. The next call comes from Joe of the Biggest Geekest podcast. And he's going to talk about, I recently did an unboxing where I opened up a box of a bunch of print books based on Kolchak the Night Stalker. Some of those books were the original novels by Jeff Rice. Some were scripts and some were just fiction written by other authors to further the story of Kolchak. If you haven't watched Coltrack the Night Stalker, you can find find it on YouTube. You can find it on it's NBC, I think. They have an app where you can watch their shows for free, and, and you can watch it there for free. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Darren McGavin, who everybody knows, is Coltrack the Night Stalker. He does a great job in there. Um, highly recommended. So anyhow, let's hear what Joe has to say about that. Hey, Jason. This is Joe over at Biggest Geekus. Just listened to episode 280, and um, at the end you talked about Kolchak and the Night Stalker. I have to tell you, that's one of my favorite TV shows ever. Uh, from back in the 70s, that's saying something for me because I poo-poo on a lot of the media from back then. Um, but Kolchak, even though the TV show may not have had the highest production qualities, Darren McGavin really made it worth watching all by himself, uh, especially when he's arguing with his boss over at the paper. Um, he's a real hero. Uh, he's obviously uh, scared of many of the things that he faces, if not all of them. Yet he deals deals with them anyway, um, in the face of all that fear. And he, I think, he brings that across all the time. Uh, really great show. I'm not sure how it compares to the books, but you know how that goes. Anyway, good show. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah, like I said, Night Soccer's great. Thank you, Joe. Joe and his partner, Randy Nichols, do a great job over their biggest key because they talk about different things. And um, they, they do a weekly show. They have a YouTube channel if you rather watch shows on YouTube. The you, you know, the cool thing is you talk about Darren McGavin and what he brought to that show. 
later in that series, one of the reasons there's not a second season actually is the so the producers kind of fell off, and Darren McGavin picked up a big part of that producing and and a lot of that extra work later on the, for the later episodes. And he just and he didn't get credit for it or anything. He just did it to help the series get that first season out. And he was just so worn out by the end of that. He's like, I'm done with this. And and he can't blame him because he was doing all this work without any extra pay or anything just to get these episodes out. But he does a great job in there. And you're right. You, you know, well, think about so like there's this one episode where they're on a cruise ship with a werewolf. And and so he's got to figure out how to take out this werewolf because the ship crew wasn't able to do it on their own. And, you know, nobody in the right mind wants to go up against a werewolf. But, you know, he makes himself do it. So, yeah, Night Stalker is well worth, well, Coltrack and Night Stalker is well worth checking out. There was a reboot in like the 2000s, early 2000s that's not so good, but the original from the 60s, well, or I guess early 70s, I don't know. But anyway, Coltrack and Night Stalker, Darren McGavin, easy to find, well worth your time. Now we're going to switch into the rest of the calls for the show, talk about the episode where everybody talked about what they were afraid of last episode. And our first caller, actually, before we do that, I'm going to interspice here a little bit. And I know I'm not, I'm talking nonsense, but when I mentioned I want to play more traditional games, I talked from here going forward. What I mean is I want to run games that don't have meta currency. So I want to try to run some of these games that don't have meta currency, like OD&D, AD&D, even Bureau 13. Although there's like a luck mechanic. Anyway, I, I want to run games without meta currency, not because meta currency is bad. And I'm still going to play in games with meta currency, like DCC, which has luck, is meta currency. But I want to run some games where there's no meta currency at all for players. And because there, there's a difference in potential immersion of the game where you're not thinking about the mechanics in your face. And I want to experience that running games like that as opposed to running games with the meta currency where the players can edit the world with re-rolls or, or with literally editing the world. Oh, here's a Benny. So a chandelier appears there, that kind of thing. So that's why I'm looking at one of the reasons I'm looking at running these older games. Anyhow, let's go to the calls about fear. And I'm sure there'll be no calls at all about the meta currency comment. First up, we have Taylor from the Cleric Swear Ringmail Media Empire. Hey, hey, it's a Spencer sandwich. Thank you, Jason. Enjoyed the episode. And while I disagree with Spencer's proposition that there is no true evil, merely neglect, etc., uh, to which I reply, Gacy, Dahmer, Stalin, Mao, there is absolutely evil in the world. There are people who maliciously act against the good of humanity and their neighbor, and occasionally themselves. Uh, I can see a debate as to whether there was an underlying current which inspires that evil, but to deny its existence is uh, erroneous in my opinion. However, to get back to the point, uh, the Spencer sandwich was particularly appropriate as Presumably, without having had the benefit of listening to all of the calls in advance, he tapped into a common thread and synopsized very effectively, uh, at least a common thread that I felt like I was able to tease out listening to the messages. 
and that is control, autonomy, more specifically, the abolition thereof. So be it, Carl's abyss. What is down there? I don't know. I can't get there. It's beyond me. Uh, be it, Eric's house fire. Do I have the strength to go in? I don't know. Is it beyond me? Uh, or Joe's bus ride. Am I where I think I am? Can I get home? That stripping of human agency. Common thread that Spencer was able to uh, synopsize very effectively. Is this pertinent to age? Maybe. I'm not sure, though, because I know that the callers range from 35 to 55, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a fairly wide uh, stretch, a full generation, uh, biblically speaking. But what makes a younger person frightened? Well, on Halloween, I took one of my two boys, who is two, and we went trick-or-treating door to door. I carried him most of the way. He was being very cuddly, but uh, we would see a house. He would observe the decorations, and I would say, do you want to do this one? And he would either say, yeah, and jump down and run up to the door, or he would hug me a little bit and say, no, too scary, and we would move on. Once he found a house he liked, he hit that house over and over uh, until I was able to distract him somewhere else, but that's beside the point. One thing that did happen that ties the story back, we ran into someone who was walking two friendly Pomeranian, I think, mixes. They might have been uh, Lady and the Tramp Lady dogs. I'm not sure it was dark outside, but we followed them for a while because we like dogs. And my uh, son got ahead and the dogs saw him turned around and tried to come up and lick him. They were very excited to meet him, and he was absolutely terrified of these five-pound animals. And he tried to run back, but they were on both sides, and there were leashes, and there were strangers. And I was six feet away from him, but in his panic, I could not get to him for probably 20 seconds. So, what terrifies the truly young, apparently friendly toy breeds? But, I digress, the important part, the choice of the term zeitgeist was intentional, as the term geist is a spirit. It means it's not a specific experience, it's not a specific article or option that we can be afraid of, but instead an undertone, a current, a thread that ties together a wealth of experiences and our perception thereof, culturally, by our age, by our origin, by our, our culmination of experience, is juxtaposed against it. With that in mind, was he afraid of the dog? Or was he afraid because he thought I was gone? Was he afraid because he thought he was alone? Side note, We've totally met those dogs before. They're both like 14 years old, and when we were rolling around in the stroller, they would come up and uh, lick the baby's feet, and the baby would laugh about it. So, no clue 
why suddenly six months later he's decided to be terrified. <sighs> Existential spaniels. So, the idea of being alone, being abandoned, not knowing where your parents are, not knowing where your support is, that is going to come up again. Thank you for those comments, Taylor. Of course, Taylor is responding to some of Spencer's comments from last episode. I do recommend you go listen to that. Very interesting episode. Next up, again on that episode, is Joe from Hindsightless. Yo, dude, your fear episode was awesome, man. So many similar fears. In fact, I had a similar one to Carl's scuba diving experience. I was snorkeling. Uh, I could see the bottom. Everything was good. Went out a little too far, and boom, no longer could see the bottom. My heart started pounding. Thump, 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 thump. Yeah, I thought something was going to swim up and eat me. <laughs> you know, I'm not scared of being dead or dying, but I don't want to get eaten alive or burned alive or buried alive uh i hear you know freezing to death isn't so bad i've heard but who knows yeah you know nothing painful i don't want to die painfully i don't know like a massive heart attack while i'm getting laid or something that might not be so bad peace out carl has a question for you joe referencing the fear you talked about during that show so how to respond to joe richter is it a fear of the dark? Maybe. <clears throat> I maybe I watch too many documentaries on Jack the Ripper, or listen to too much heavy metal, right? The song "Killers," the song "The Ripper," um, by Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, respectively. That the looking into mirrors or that fear of the dark isn't a thing for me, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I suggest uh, Joe listen to more heavy metal music and that'll help him with his looking into the mirror. Interesting. Let's see what Joe has to say about that. I am a man who walks alone and when I'm walking a dark road at night or strolling through the park. When the light begins to change, sometimes I feel a little strange, a little anxious in the dark. Fear of the dark. No, Carl, it is not fear of the dark. My friend, he suggests that I need to listen to more heavy metal. I suggest that he needs to believe the heavy metal he listens to. I feel it in my heart. I know it's true. I know the evils that lurk out there. Yeah, it's not the darkness. It's what lies on the other side of the mirror. But in all seriousness, there is... um, a phenomenon that happens if you stare into a mirror long enough, what you're looking at starts to shift and morph around. I've read about it. I forget what it's called. Also, looking at mirrors is not something I do. I routinely forget what I look like, but that's a topic for another day. Peace out. So Carl sent in individual questions for a number of the callers. But as of this recording, Joe is the only one who has dared to answer Carl's questions. There may be more answers to Carl's questions or there may not be. But if I don't have an answer to the question, I'm not going to play Carl's questions because I don't want to make any anybody feel like they have to answer those. So we'll see if any more responses come in. Next up is Daniel Norton, Media Baron himself. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Bandits. Keep calling in about the What Scares You episode. Um, I'm almost through, all the way through. I just finished listening to Minion. And I think it's interesting because even though everybody, not everybody, but most people have stated different things, when it comes down to it, it's really all the same thing. Everyone seems to be afraid of a lack of power or not being able to do the thing that they want or feel like they should do, whether that be taking care of their family, uh, 
you know, the fear of being lost or being too small, um, it falls into that as well. Also, if you think about uh, like a children's fear of like, uh, you know, children look to their parents to protect them. So when the parents aren't there, afraid of the dark, right? They're, the children know that they can't take care of themselves yet. They need that parent. So when the parent's not there, they have that fear, right? The, all these things are the same, really. And whether it be, you know, the economic or social or political climate crushing you and taking away your uh, human rights to do what you want to do, or you not being able to live up to what expectations you put on yourself or maybe you believe society uh, puts on people, you know, as far as taking care of people, whether that be both physically, like uh, the story about possibly running into a fire to help people, or financially, you lose your job, or just physically, you know, something happens, you're not there, right? Something happens to somebody that you care for. So I think that's really interesting. And in some ways, this also ties into identity because we identify ourselves as individuals and being able to do the things, right? We, if we're, let's say, uh, you've got a family, you identify yourself as somebody who takes care of that family, who protects that family, but maybe when it comes down to it, in the end, you can't always do that, and that can be frightening. So, yeah, I think it's interesting that they all kind of tie into that same idea of being small or insignificant, and I guess on some level, isn't that really what Lovecraft is about? Well, there you go. Spencer brings it home, right? Pretty much exactly what I said on some level, you know, this idea of a lot lack of agency or loss of agency is, is really interesting. Um, anyways, yeah, great episode. Uh, sorry, I did not call in. I couldn't really think of anything specifically. Um, I don't know. I'm not a horror person. I'm not a metal person. I'm not a cyberpunk person. What kind of person am I? Maybe that's what I'm afraid of, to find out the kind of person that I really am. It's probably a chainmail person. So I, I guess I misspoke earlier. Daniel, though, there mentions the idea of being alone early on in that call. And, and being separated from your parents or whatever, kind of like Taylor does. To close out this episode, Safer of Safer Fantasy Crafting is going to tell us what he's afraid of. What scares me, Jason? Giving in to my true self. <laughs> what scares me, Jason? Everything. The end of the Antarctic Treaties in 2048. Common Ice War, Taiwan, the spread of industrialism despite our threats in our climate, the growth in nationalism and tribalism, spread of irrationality, seeming technological dark age waiting for us. I'm starting to understand now why people vacillated in the 30s before World War II. They didn't want to give up what they had left, even though they knew it wasn't going to last. Interesting perspectives there, and it's hard to disagree with anything the Safer said there. A very sobering end of the episode. I'll be back on Wednesday with hopefully a happier episode, more upbeat thing, some upbeat topics. Uh, thank you, though, to all my callers. Really, really appreciate it. You obviously made this episode. And if you listeners want to call in, you can leave me a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast.gmail.com. If you attach a message, I can play it on there and make you famous. You can reach me on a number of different discords. And I do want to thank you for listening. Even if you don't want to call in, that's fine. I, I'm just glad that you're willing to share half an hour or so of your time with me twice a week. I also want to thank Ray Otis for the Coffee Cup Clip Art, TJ Drennan for the wonderful music. And with that, I will bid you adieu. And talk to you on Wednesday. Take care, folks.
a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. Sure is a dust man in your moil's body tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. Don't look away. Don't look away. Don't look away. Well, the zombies are arising, and the world is gone to hell. We're living for the dying, and we're dying for the train wreck.